Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Strike units 25th floor. Whoa, whoa, big guy. I just want you to know, Cap. I said personal! <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the Tribe of Nerds MCU Rewatch Podcast. Um, once again, JJ and Will and I are here, um, but we've got a new guest with us for this week. Harrison, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up? What's up? All right. Um, I guess real quick before we get into it, I guess Harrison, if you want to just quickly uh, break down like uh, what made you like a comic book fan or what made you a fan of the MCU in general. Jeez, uh, that goes back uh, forever for me. Uh, my dad owns a, a comic book shop, and he has since he was like in his low twenties. So I grew up doing comic cons and working at them and doing everything and collecting comics or doing stuff for the business since I was, you know, crawling. <laughs> so I just I've been waiting for this kind of stuff to happen, like MCU, like. I was waiting for this stuff for many years before anyone even knew who Doctor Strange was. I was like, man, when's he getting a movie? And I was like, <laughs> everyone knows who these guys are, so that's awesome. I've just, you know, and I've, I've just always been in it. Movies in general, and got a movie store myself now, and I just, it's still just a big part of my life, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we'll get into it. We're going to start. We're doing Captain America the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, both in 2014. Um, and both movies kind of set the tone for the rest of this franchise moving forward. Um, so we'll start with The Winter Soldier, um, because that came first. Um, and that set, this sets more the serious tone of the MCU. Um, and so we'll just go over what you guys thought when you initially watched Winter Soldier. Um, so. Uh, first time, oh man, so long, it's crazy to think how long ago it was, but... This was one that definitely I liked, like, right away. I remember uh, action scenes in this one felt more impactful. I remember that off the bat. And I was a lot more invested in uh, the threat of characters. Um, and that's something in superheroes I'm usually like, I, you know, they'll come out and win or whatnot. And this one I was like, Ugh, you know, I don't, you know, it felt like there were stakes and characters are in a threat, which was great. Yeah. First time I watched this movie, it instantly became my favorite Marvel movie. Um, I don't know if that still holds true. I will, uh, I'll have a decision on that by the end of this rewatch. But 
like what a solid action film just mm-hmm. all of the action scenes in it were great the fight choreography was fantastic the special effects were fantastic and i completely agree with harrison the stakes felt real um the dissolution of shield was an awesome plot device um i just this was a great movie uh, and it's still a great movie every time i watch it mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm in the same boat when i first saw it K, my favorite, and honestly, it's safe to say, this is still my favorite Marvel movie out of the whole MC universe. Mm-hmm. And um, something about, as much as I love the superpowered like heroes like Hulk, you know, even in DC, like Superman, there's something about hand-to-hand combat and fight choreography. It's just more exciting even with it being super soldiers, like as Captain America, but just watching the fighting and hearing and feeling those punches, no matter how fake they may be, they feel real, they look real, and it just adds like a whole nother level of excitement to watch. Because there are people out there who could do close to those moves that they are doing in the movie. And so it's just, it gets exciting. And plus the darker tone that this took, it's something I wish... They eventually got back later on, I would say, Marvel did, in the terms of their movies, but it was a theme and a tone that I wish they kept through a little bit longer. Yeah, um, I think my actual initial watch of Winter Soldier was when JJ and I were roommates freshman year. I think <laughs> you showed me Winter Soldier, and I remember as a casual viewer back then, I had no idea what was going on. Um, and then at, when I actually got more into the universe and I went back and I rewatched everything and kind of understood what was going on more, then I really enjoyed it, so. You paid me back in that respect with Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> so, we'll get into casting now. Um, so I guess let's just touch on some of the new characters that were introduced um, of course, we get introduced to Anthony Mackie as Falcon, Sam Wilson in this movie. Um, and on this rewatch specifically with Falcon, I really, really enjoyed him. I think this is actually, until we get later on to the end, this is where we really see the most development for Falcon. So, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's crazy to think how many characters were introduced in just Winter Soldier alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they end up being, you get, you know, who ends up being Crossbones, I thought that was a nice use. Yeah. Crossbones is big in the comics, and then it's just, they kind of take uh, Frank Grello and make him Crossbones later in Civil War, which was, I thought, a cool idea. Um, uh, Falcon's great. I, I can't wait for the show they're making with him. Yeah. Uh, they did a pretty good job with... You know, he doesn't have the, the suit and everything he does in the comics, which is funny, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's just, they have a great way of casting. Mm-hmm. Marvel always has, I felt, even since the first X-Men's. Mm-hmm. I just, they're just so great at casting. Even when the movies are flat, I, 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 I don't <laughs> know who they have. You know, I can't, can't argue with it. Anthony yeah. Maggie's great. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that made this movie special... Um, on top of all the other good things about it, is uh, the way that they brought in so much Captain America stuff into this movie from the comics mm-hmm. in ways that they could continue what they wanted and drop what they didn't want. 
um, like Crossbones, they were able to develop it just a little bit further into the next Captain America movie and then drop them. Um, mm. They introduced Falcon in a way that they could bring him in in a meaningful way long term. And they did that with many Captain America things, and it was really cool. Um, Falcon, I think that the relationship between him and Captain America in this movie was a very natural progression. Mm -hmm. I liked the way that they introduced them meeting and how they developed throughout time. So great. Oh, yeah, I I agree with you guys. Falcon was great. And what I like, and just the last point I want to talk about, what Marvel does great in terms of world building is they're not afraid to give you a character and then put them on a shelf. And I'm not saying Falcon was necessarily put on a shelf in this movie because he was given actually a decent amount of time. But even then, they're like, all right, here's Falcon. Here's a character. You might recognize him from if you're a comic fan. Here he is in this movie. We're going to put him over here for now, but just keep him in mind that he exists in this world or she exists in this world. We may come back to them later. And then when they come back to them later, it, it, without him missing a beat. And I appreciate Marvel having him being having the courage to do it because it's a very scary thing a lot of times because you don't know how that particular movie's gonna go mm -hmm. if it's even gonna stick. Falcon was a great character. He stuck. The actor did a great job. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I, I felt world building too is big in these two movies: Guardians and Winter Soldier. Oh yeah, bringing back characters and like you said, shelving them and saving them for later. Really big in these two, even in the Avengers. You know, you, you can talk all day about the first Thanos appearance and all that, which is great. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. these two movies felt so big in terms of world building. Yeah. You know, really great. On yeah. different levels, too. Mm. Yeah, and what I love about Sam is that he shares almost the same ideals as Steve Rogers. And, like, he just wants to help Captain America because it's the right thing to do. There's no other reason for Sam to be helping Captain America with this mission other than that. So, um, uh, and we touched on, we touched on Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow as Crossbones. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed him in this movie as well. I kind of wish later on we'd gotten more from him before they killed him off, but he was good in this, so... Um, and then we have Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter, um, and, I, she's okay. I mean, I don't, I'm not a fan of what happens in the next Captain America movie between her and Steve, but that's another story for another time, um, but how do you feel about Sharon Carter in this movie? If anything. Uh, I think it's cool to have Agent 13 in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know... Obviously, there's a lot more in there with the comics. Um, it's it definitely feels a little bit like a, a just a reference for for the people that know. Mm -hmm. But she she did have a bit to do, and she has a little bit more to do later on. Um, it, even farther on in the movies too, I, uh, we see her still. So, you know, uh, there's a lot they got to do, but I, I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't do exactly everything from the comics. I, you know, it's hard to digest uh, for your average movie goer kind of thing. And I, I didn't mind her that much. Pretty good. Um, I like the actress. I think she fits well. Mm hmm Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything else to say about Sharon Carter, or should we move on to our recurring characters? I think she just falls into a category of there's so much other things being focused on, something is going to get, like, you know, put it to the side. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. This kind of comes back to the point I was making earlier. They introduced, not just for Captain America, but all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, too. Mm. Um, Just in ways that, like, some of it's small, some of it's big. They can pick up whatever they want, and some of it, they just leave, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So we can just move on to our recurring characters, their arcs in this movie. Of course, we've got Steve Rogers, um, Captain America, so we can talk about Captain America and how his ideals are kind of tested in this movie. Uh, it, it kind of sticks with that soldier theme that it kind of does in the first one, but mm-hmm. a lot better. Mm-hmm. First one kind of, oh, you know, what does a soldier do? What is a soldier, you know? Uh, you know, a little more campy in the first one, and this one, it kind of takes that and makes it more of a spy thriller, which I think fits greatly with what Captain America seems to always deal with uh, as a character and just where allegiance would fall who are the good guys. Uh, I, I, I really love that this one again, Winter Soldier and the Russo Brothers, mm-hmm. kind of really melded uh, genres in this one and making this a spy thriller fit really well for Cat and even Black Widow, obviously, too. Uh, really, really smooth movie overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, thematically, and just the writing overall, I think, just, it flows. Um, I love the moral ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, that Cap has to kind of wade through. Not just in this movie, but in all three of the Captain America movies. Will and I said in a previous episode how Captain America doesn't really change that much through his trilogy. But instead the world around him changes and he has to find the path that fits his values. Mm -hmm. And I love that they do that through S.H.I.E.L.D. in this because he has to decide, um, yes, I am a soldier for S.H.I.E.L.D., but they're wrong and Mm -hmm. I have to follow my own path now. And I think this really truly uh, develops him as more of a leader um, and helps him to take on that leadership role in the Avengers and the later Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, this just was another movie of why I was such a big Captain America fan and going off of what JJ was saying about what we were talking about, I agreed with him on Captain America didn't change, but I also brought up the whole thing that it's not Captain America changing, it's Steve Rogers changing, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Captain America is always an idea, that idea stays true, but Steve Rogers is the one that guides where does that idea go from. Like, what direction is that idea going to go? And in this movie, you really see Steve Rogers really get tested. Like, we just seen, like, early on, like, in Avengers, like, this massive alien army, but he was in his elements. He was commanding that squad. He was fighting. There was a clear enemy. But now, in this moment, everything got turned upside down, and you watch Steve have to really adapt and show why he is morally probably one of the strongest heroes in this whole universe as of right now, like morally. And I thought Chris Evans does a bang up job again, nothing to complain about his work. He is Captain America and Steve Rogers at this point. Mm-hmm. He's put him 
thoroughly in that category, just like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. <laughs> Marvelous job. Yeah, I I agree, Marvel. and I That's I. <laughs> I, I, I love how these ideals are tested. You know, we've, we've, they, the first movie established who Steve Rogers was. This one tests what he's, that he's not willing to budge on those ideals that have been established for him. Um, he's trying to do the right thing, and he realizes S.H.I.E.L.D. is not doing the right thing. So, um, and then we can just briefly touch on Nick Fury and Black Widow in this movie, um, I think both of them are badass in this movie, so. <laughs> yeah, no, they're always great. Uh, Samuel Jackson, I, you know, he's always been the perfect Fury, even before <laughs> the movies came out. You know, right. I mean, Marvel Comics even, I forgot who the artists were, but they came out and were like, yeah, we modeled them him after Samuel Jackson, so, <laughs> and he was okay with it, you know, it, it's just perfect that they got him, uh, and kept him, even after the first Iron Man, with so little plans, I, he's so, so great as Fury, <laughs> I love it. Uh, from an acting perspective, this is one of my favorite movies with Black Widow in it, <laughs> um, I think that Scarlett Johansson really kind of hits the character well in this movie. Um, and I think that's partially due to uh, putting, like Harrison would say, more of the spy thriller aspect spin on this. Mm -hmm. Because Black Widow is a spy. She's not a soldier. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing her on that side and like her interactions with uh, Steve, um, I, I think it's a great dynamic between those two. Yeah. yeah. This is a person that I was fully convinced, and I believe that Black Widow was part of the team. It took a while, and I think that was just to do with uh, just uh, Scarlett Johansson trying to find how to present Black Widow because I felt she was different in each of the movies she was beforehand. But Winter Soldier was where she really got to shine. Black Widow was finally solidified in terms of this is how the character is going to be, and this is what we're going to work off of. And I think this is where she did her best, and this is when I finally personally was sold on Black Widow as a character in this universe. Mm -hmm. She's almost not a sidekick in this. Like, it's hard to say she, like, this is also, like, a good Black Widow movie. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, and even Falcon, even though he's not in it as much, he's, they don't, the Russos didn't really treat the side characters as sidekicks. Mm -hmm. You know, that superhero movies or, or or comic books generally would do or mm -hmm. the cliche sidekick thing it, it doesn't do it at all mm -hmm. it almost felt like even if you were to replace Captain America and you were to put Black Widow in his place every scenario Captain America was in for the most part you could believe Black Widow could probably handle the same situation it wasn't oh, yeah. like there was this scenario of like oh uh, Black Widow's in this fight she's gonna take the L because she's not Captain America I didn't feel that at all Maybe the explosion of the bunker, but other than that... Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, but that, like I'm saying, like, there's certain things, though. But, like, overall, you watch Captain America fight a guy, bunch, like, five people on, on top deck and knock them out. I'm like, yeah, Black Widow could do that. Easy. <clears throat> like the, uh, the fight uh, by the overpass um, where uh, the Winter Soldier is fighting all three of them together, it's great to see how they all take their own distinct 
powerful roles within mm-hmm. that fight. Yeah. Um, and for each character to utilize their own skill set and strengths there too. Um, because Steve is kind of just brute force there. Mm-hmm. And then Nat, you've got more as the uh, kind of like crafty intellectual fighter um, using her gadgets and tricks. And then you've got um, Falcon as the uh, as kind of our backup support member. He's trying his best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean it like that. I know. More so as like he's covering as in he knows that they have the main fight. He's taking care of everything else. He's kind of taking on a Hawkeye role mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah. They kind of always, the rules was always, again, the choreography and the blocking in the movie, they're always where this, you know, Falcon's up top, he won't use jetpack up, he's on top of the bridge. You know, there's oh. always that going on. Widow's always behind the cars, and Steve's always in the open with only a shield. And that's another thing, like you're saying, that they're utilized with their powers so well in that. Yeah, and it's... I never thought about it that way. Yeah. As we move further into the MCU, I think because Russo's come back, like we're going to be talking about how the Russo's know how to use each character's powers to their fullest potential. Yes, they do. So I think they're great at that. Um, so uh, let's and with Nick Fury, I I just love where he comes in at the end and where he's just like um, when they need two people to activate the scanner to get the files out. And he's just like, you better keep both eyes open and just lifts his eye patch up and it's it's so good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good moment. So It's that great witty spy movie banter mm-hmm. that you'd see in James Bond movies and, uh, you know, it just melted <laughs> into a superhero movie so well. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um... And let's touch on the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, in this movie, and how good he is. <laughs> uh, great, great character. I like th- this stuff was awesome in the comics, and I thought they pulled this off really well, mm-hmm. really, really well in a, in a movie. Uh, I, he's he's he, again the casting's great. Uh, they bring him back. And this, they introduce all the things, like shield and hydra. Just it's nothing is too compact. There's not, it's not too complex. Uh, they bring them in, and everyone is just, oh my god, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing, the thing that sells this movie is that the relationship between Cap and Bucky. Yes. And mm-hmm. how evenly matched they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you never really know who's going to come out on top. And he's such a strong counterpart to Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, just a solid character. I've got no complaints. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, we said it a lot. Great job. Great character. Uh, Harrison, you could speak on this because you've done acting yourself. I think one thing that's the most impressive is how, if you really think about it, how little of actual speaking lines he had. And all of his acting was through choreography, his mere presence, facial acting, even with the mask. And Harrison, I, I mean, I'll let yeah. you talk on this, but just how difficult it is to tell a story of a character through just action alone. 
I, he does so well, uh, you know, but I mean, I got to give it to the Russos again. They do so much through just camera work, storytelling wise. I mean, to the point of just, you know, you mentioned JJ that, you know, there's such great counterpoints to the point it's like, you know, metal arm versus metal shield, you know, it just, uh, you know, there's not, it's just easy or not easy, but it's like, you know, they're working together so well behind the set and all that, that it's just, these characters come naturally because there's so much planning and well thought out, well written characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, agree completely. I mean, I love the scene where Steve Rogers, like, first realizes that the Winter Soldier is Bucky and he's just like, Bucky? And Bucky's like, who the hell is Bucky? And then... <laughs> It's and then Steve's just completely depressed afterwards, so it's perfect. Um, so um, now we can get into Project Insight, and um, so Project Insight is what the algorithm that Hydra uses um, to predict the threats uh, that are in the present present threat or in the future that could come about. And there's kind of Easter eggs within it. I mean, they have uh, the people that they're going to assassinate. They have Tony Stark, Bruce Banner. They they mention Doctor Strange. Um, and uh, they s- talk about a reporter in Cairo, which might be referencing Mark Spector or Moon Knight. So there's a bunch of Easter eggs within that that they're referencing. But what do you guys think of Project Insight? said that's when the, uh, you first hear about Doctor Strange right there mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool and so quick uh, you know I love that uh, this is kind of you know the blue laser in the sky kind of problem you know, <laughs> this is like it's still kind of that blue laser in the sky but you know I, I think it made it different enough um, and it fits with what shield something it's believable what shield would want to do very believable what hydra would want to do and slowly <laughs> take over and implement the idea of this you know project insight to get shield to do it i think you know it's an acceptable and well thought out blue laser in the sky kind of thing <laughs> yeah i agree with uh harrison this feels like a very natural uh sort of humanistic thing to happen um, and one of the things I enjoy about including Project Insight in this dichotomy between S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA is the way it highlights the overlaps between the two organizations. This is a, um, a mechanism that both of them could use for their own purposes. Um, they are two sides of one coin, but they're two sides of the same coin. Um, there are so many similarities between the two organizations, which is one of the uh, things that led to Hydra being able to grow within S.H.I.E.L.D. all mm-hmm. this time. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a neat little way to kind of keep the world building going, and I always appreciate world building in movies, especially mm-hmm. when it's a series that's committed to it. Um, it does, though, real quick in the sense of, kind of brings up the question of, like, oh, well... We had the Avengers. Well, where's Iron Man and all of them doing this? But like with this, when it shows Hydra's also tracking the same people that Shield is, you could kind of have it as like a loophole of oh, 
they wouldn't be doing this plan if they didn't know where these key figures were at this time. How lazy you think that is, I think it's kind of clever, but it gives them, <laughs> it, it gives them that, like, that uh, escape of, oh, you can't say that, you know, there's this plot hole going around in this universe. We know everybody's at right now, even if we don't show you. Yeah. So, even if it, like, doesn't fully address something in a way that's, like, a super well-developed thought, I still appreciate when um, plot uh, address their own minor like holes. Oh yeah. If it's in ways that are just like kind of throwaway covers, it still addresses it. So it's still something that points to it. It just brings more realism. Mm. Um. So now we can just touch on the other Easter eggs and callbacks. Uh, major one right at the beginning, we've got Steve's list of movies and things to check out. Um, and that actually changes in different countries. So, I mean, in the U.S., it has Star Wars and Star Trek. In, I believe, England or Great Britain, the U.K., it has uh, the Beatles. I mean, it, has, it just has a bunch of stuff that changes, and it's an awesome little Easter egg. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Didn't know that. So, oh, yeah. you'd, have to cha- you'd have to check out, like, the different countries what like the changes are but i can't remember every single one but it's really cool um we've got uh apparently on samuel jackson's um or on nick fury's gravestone it has a quote from samuel jackson in pulp fiction um and it's uh i can't remember the exact quote but i looked this up today and that that um it's from pulp fiction so it's really really cool that's Samuel Jackson tends to do that with, I think on his lightsaber, he had, you know, yes. Mad Mother Effer on it. I swear sometimes they just lose track of where their actors or actresses go, and they're just like, oh, they were unsupervised for a moment, it's too late to fix it now. I think that's okay, too, you know, it, like, because this isn't just a movie, it's also these people's careers, they're mm-hmm. creating this piece of art together. It's great for them to bring their own little things into it. Plus, who's going to tell Samuel L. Jackson? No? <laughs> yeah, yeah so, no, I, I don't... <laughs> he's so iconic. I, I mean, every movie yeah. he's in, you just... Yeah, he's he's just Samuel L. Jackson. He's just yeah, great. you forget what yeah. character he is, except for maybe this one, but you see yeah. him, you're like, that's Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, Nick Fury. I mean, <laughs> Jurassic Park. I mean, uh, Nick Fury. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, Mace Windu. You want, you know, that on your life. It's so great. Like, it's great. There's definitely something to be said for an actor when you forget their character's name, but you remember them as the actor themselves. Once they become that prolific, that prolific, that it's no longer about their characters, but it's the actor. Mm -hmm. He's one of the few, you could also probably name most of his characters, too. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. 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 Go on and on. Yeah. Um. And I saw this um when I was watching videos and stuff on it, but apparently there's a rumor that the scream when the Winter Soldier shows up is apparently they distorted Bucky's scream when he fell from the train in the first Avenger, um. And so that's um supposed to be that to uh, like, I it's just a cool like correlation between the two i always thought the sound design of the movie was really great yeah yeah it's very very cool um 
And then we have the Senator Stearns, Gary Shandling's character from Iron Man 2 showing back up to say Hail Hydra to Jasper Sitwell. And it's just a funny little moment. And then he just gets arrested at the end. <laughs> but oh, didn't Sitwell also appear in Avengers in some capacity? Yes, he was in also, Avengers. Yeah. He was on the Helicarrier. Um, yeah, so, and he also dies in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sitwell's a fairly, um, fairly prominent character in the first season, maybe the first two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Mm. Here he goes again with this plug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is to make a larger point, reiterating my point, uh, Marvel introduces these little characters and little things, and it just picks them up in all these random places, um... Just they do such a good job, especially the Russo brothers in this movie, of the world building aspects mm-hmm. that we've been talking about. Yeah. Um and I if unless you guys have other Easter eggs and callbacks that you can recall, um I don't have anything else. Uh just one thing I wanna bring up too is um when uh Robert Redford's character who I'm blanking on is Alexander name, Pierce. Thank you. When Pierce is showing the videos of how um, the Winter Soldier has shaped history, uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing when it brings in um, uh, Tony Stark's parents, and that kind of gives us the plot for Civil War ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, Harrison, will you guys have any... Easter eggs or anything that you can uh, remember. I know. I, I think when they're showing the computer of all like the names that pop up, mm-hmm. um, I, I I know they do a Wakanda reference in there, and I thought there was one for Namor, the mm-hmm. Samaritan. Oh, I'm in that. Well, I, I believe I so. Can't remember. I remember. There's no, a, I remember it, that. Doesn't lead to, uh, there's like uh, a blip right in the middle of the water. <laughs> I, I can't remember if it's this movie, but I think one of the early Marvel movies uh, makes a Submariner reference. I think it's this one. I can't remember. I think you're right because I, I didn't, I'm trying to look for it in my last watch. I can't catch it, but I swear mm. that happens. Yeah, well, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll get to the Namor reference in Endgame, but. <laughs> but um so we'll get to the post-credit scene so we got two of them the first post-credit scene we get baron von strucker um in the hydra base and uh basically then they show scarlet witch and quicksilver um the twins uh uh testing their powers out and so we get a first look at them to be teased and so I know that this was disappointing for a lot of comic book fans, the way that these two characters were introduced, but mm-hmm. I thought that this was a great way in the MCU when they couldn't touch the X-Men right. to introduce them. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy they got them at all. That, that right. whole contracts thing that started in the early 2000s is really goofy. It's still goofy with Spider-Man. It is. <laughs> it's not as goofy, but it's still so goofy, I know. Uh, and, and now it presents the question, how do they even bring the X-Men into the MCU? WandaVision. Yeah, yeah, make, like, I, I guess they could still make a Magneto's kid. He's going to be really mad. Right? Wa- WandaVision. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, Multiverse. The, the only thing that uh, I want to talk about with 
funny that you said that they're testing their powers, and the only thing I recall is you just got Pietro just running into the wall. I'm like, what do you think he's testing? It just seems like he don't even know what's going on. Yeah, that's like, true. Maybe like exploring, but then there's Pietro just going, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's better than what happens in Age of Ultron. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> Yeah, um, so then we all, the second post credit scene is Bucky checking out the museum and kind of remembering his past, um, so that was kind of a cool little scene. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that, that was a big end credit one. This is when they started, was this the first time they started doing two? Like, um, so Avengers. Did they, uh, the Dark World. Did they do it for Thor? Okay, I can't remember. Avengers what also did too. Pilot started started that. Yeah, because they usually had one for yeah to, uh, foreshadow a ne- the next upcoming events, and then another one was just yeah. for either a goofy one. And it was yeah. always at the very end, and now they, they yeah. Did. It, it wasn't that it was always goofy, but sometimes they used it for just this like a ramp up feels like because like the Bucky one, honestly, I got well like, that I yeah. Line, I was just like, oh my boy. Yeah, th- this one was just a nice wrap-up one. There's future ones that just become goofy and are kind of yeah. thrown there for a gag. But I believe yeah. Avengers was the first one they did, too, because they did uh, Thanos and Shawarma in that one. Oh, that's so. right. Oh, maybe, that, maybe that's a Disney thing, then, that started it. Because I, uh, I looked it up. Avengers was the first movie that was in any way produced or distributed by Disney. Okay. Uh, mm. In the Marvel oh, universe. Wow. So I was lucky one to start on. Yeah. So I was so I was correct last week in talking about Pearl Mutter. So sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, it's a good way though to um, get viewers to watch the credits. I think that this is a great um, nod to the people who uh, created the movie um because prior to marvel movies people don't really watch credits unless they're invested in actually seeing who was a part of this movie but now you watch the credits anyway because <laughs> you have to watch for that post credits yeah right he and did it way back in the day and, but no one saw that fucking movie so they did it before <laughs> it was cool yeah yeah, yeah but no one saw that at all <laughs> um and then we, of course, got our Stanley cameo. This is a really good one in the museum when Cap steals the suit from the museum and Stanley walks in as the security guard is like, "Oh man, I'm gonna so get fired for this." I just want to imagine Stan getting called into the office and being like, uh, "You, you know, the suit went missing, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know that unless you have kind of a penchant for the costuming that it hit so many people as much. I feel like the change in design from Captain America's earlier costumes to his later costumes wasn't large enough mm-hmm. that um, that necessarily hit. At least for me, it didn't. I don't know if that's the same for other people. Yeah. Hmm. So... Um, they did go thematically, like you said, uh, you know, the world around Steve always changes, mm-hmm. uh, and he has to adjust to that, and that's just him realizing he did change a bit too much, 
mm-hmm. and then he sh- or, or shouldn't. So he, he went back and got his old suits. And thematically, you know, that was I thought that was another good uh, tie-in. Jace, you should bring Harrison on more often. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, come on for more episodes. <laughs> yeah. I just rewatched these two. It's so funny. Will message me. I was like. I just watched Raider Soldier. That's so funny. <laughs> hey. Um, yeah. yeah, let's talk about our favorite moments. Um, of course, mine is the elevator fight scene. I mean, I think that one is just one of the most iconic scenes of all time. I mean, that gets called back later even, and it's just, it's so good, you know, before we get started, does anyone want to get out? And it's just so good. It's just Russo's knowing how to build tension so mm-hmm. well. Um, they, they know what to show and when to show it, how to show it. The, the angles, uh, when to show Steve looking down, when to look up. Uh, there's a lot of just great tension building for that. And it's just, you know, it's just nice homages to other spy movies mm-hmm. and spy throws before it. Um, you know, elevator, small space. It's just, it's just basic blocking and spacing, and they do it so well. It's just basic stuff that they nail. You know, my favorite scene was easily uh, Fury's car chase scene. Oh um, yeah, and that stands as possibly my favorite scene in any Marvel movie. <laughs> um, the the action in it was so on point and well paced mm-hmm. and um like it wasn't necessarily your standard car chase scene because it was also a fight scene at the same time which was really cool and it showcased fury's resourcefulness mm-hmm. in a movie where fury wasn't the main character and mm-hmm. i mean fury's never the main character he's always a behind the scenes pull the strings type guy but like this was really a moment where we got to see how Fury got to where he was. Because yeah. he can do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to pick just one scene, but two that stand out to me. <laughs> uh, it's it's not a full... It, you could call it a scene, but there's this moment. It's when um, Cap is first introduced to the um, knowledge that this sol- Winter Soldier exists. Mm-hmm. They're chasing, I believe, on the rooftops. And Cap goes to chuck his shield... And all it is, just, it's just that grab because that even got me, too. Because even if I knew of what the Winter Soldier was and his metal arm, that catching of the shield and just watching it and the sound, like everything about, like from every audio cue that there was, was just so clean. It was, it was heart stopping. I loved it. And then uh, my next favorite big moment was their first interaction when they're fighting in the streets when they first have their open brawl in the light, mm-hmm. being able to see that the Winter Soldier not only can handle his own with Captain America, but he can take advantage of him, like, and get the upper hand at times and have a different combat style. And I just thought it was beautiful to watch. I love the fights in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The scenes with Nat and Cap stick out to me a lot, too. The, when they're in the car, and especially in the bathroom... Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Steve basically saying he would do the same for her. Um, that those are uh, the chemistry between them is really great, and it really solidifies Black Widow, Black Widow's character too. Yeah, for sure. 
Oh yeah. One other scene, uh, I wouldn't call it a favorite scene, but uh, that just sticks out to me is the villain reveal of uh, Alexander Pierce. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much like Iron Man 3, I was not surprised that he was the villain. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was done in a way that took the movie even darker than Mm -hmm. it already was, which was hard to do because they had already established such a dark tone. Yeah. Um, for for what is supposed to be on some levels a family movie. Agreed. Right. Um so with that we can actually get into our villain rankings now. Robert Redford they they got Robert Redford to be in a Marvel movie, which is crazy to get that <laughs> legendary of an actor to come in and, and the MCU just does really good at even getting those types of people. Um so for Alexander Pierce I gave him a 5.5 out of 6. I think he's really, really good. And, like, the fact that he is just... He's just eliminating all these threats. Like, even, like, one little foot out of line and that he sees. And he's just immediately already sending forces to take them out. Um, and it's just... It's so good. Um, and, I mean, like, that line where Alexander Pierce is, like, you know... Uh, uh, sa- I believe it's Sacrifice... Or, uh, kill or save 20 billion people by sacrificing 2 million like he just he thinks that sacrificing like a small amount of people or billions of people is going to save more people um by eliminating those who are threats to the government or that won't comply to the government um, so I think a 5.5 is pretty fair. I think there are better villains that come along, but I still think Alexander Pierce is very, very strong. So He's very intimidating, and I guess just perfect casting. Robert Redford's voice, mm-hmm. he's so commanding. Mm-hmm. He, just, he can be... He can switch on and off uh, and, and take charge of a conversation so well. Uh, he's nice to Rogers in the beginning and sounds... Uh, you know, like the good guy, he can sound good or bad whenever he needs to. And that, that's just, if, if I were to go into your point system, I'd probably be like in a 4.9 or 5 out of 6. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's really good. And he's one I kind of forgot about up until my most recent rewatch. And I'm like, you know, yeah, he is a pretty solid villain mm-hmm. out of the entire MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the character of the villain he is one of if not my favorite so far um, I think he's one of the most well developed villain characters uh, in any of the Marvel movies up to this point and Robert Redford just kills it as Alexander Pierce he brings the presence of a man of that caliber of that station in life that uh, he should have Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the villain standpoint, he is this scheming mastermind who uh, has taken over kind of as the head of Hydra um, in this more modern era and built it through S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a, just a monumental uh, undertaking that he succeeded at. Um, physically, he's not that intimidating, but he doesn't need it. Right. So I'm going to give him, I think, a 5.1. 5.1. Uh, ditto to everything you guys said. 
Um, no need to go on much more. I'll give him a solid five. I think he does a great job for what this, the, how the tone of the movie is. Can't ask more for a villain. Mm-hmm. Alright, so the 5.5 for me, plus the 5.1, plus the 5, plus the other 5, divided by 4, and Alexander Pierce clocks in at a 5.15. He officially takes the lead as the best villain right now. Oh, I agree with that. Wow. Wow. So, he he takes out Loki. Yeah, Loki at this point. Yeah, no, I I agree. I don't think Loki ever has been a good enough villain to be the best villain because he's so on the fence between mm-hmm. villain hero he, he's chaotic neutral at best he's an entertaining character for sure right oh yeah right um so now we'll move on to the overall movie rankings <laughs> winter soldier so i kind of look at it as like my top a lot of like my top 10 top half of the mcu rankings they're all like amazing movies like i enjoy all of them um, and I think Winter Soldier does so many things well. It's not my favorite, just because I'm not super into the political thrillers, but this one does a political thriller that engages me. Um, I'm going to give it a 5.8. I think it's a very, very strong movie, and I won't be surprised if this ends up as our highest right now um, for a while. So, uh, yeah. Uh, on my uh, letterbox, I got, uh, I got it at a 7 out of 10. Uh, so yeah, I'd probably also give it like a five out of six. Um, this, you know, going up to where we're at currently in the movies, this would be my favorite. It was my favorite for a while. Uh, it's still definitely top five for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, to reiterate points, a point I've made in previous episodes, no movie is without sin. Um, this movie isn't either. There are little things throughout the movie that I could pick up on if I wanted. That being said, uh, the choreography, the blocking, the camera work, which is leagues better than uh, some of our earlier films, Mm. the fight scenes, the staging, everything about this movie is at the peak of Marvel up to this point. Um, I don't think there's anything that they did worse in this movie than they had done in previous movies. Um, and I just, I love the movie. I love everything about it. I'm going to give it a 5.85. Um, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to give it a 6. Ooh. Um, it's not do I think it's a perfect movie, but I think in terms of, even with its minor nitpicks, you can point out to certain things you may not like about the movie. I think it's a 6 for the mere fact that I think this this, in terms of all the MCU Universe movies, this was the big stamp to where mm-hmm. if you didn't believe it at Avengers, you believe it now that this universe is here to stay. This this universe is evolving. And because, let's be honest, as much as we love you know Avengers, Avengers was still a very big testing round. It was, there was a lot there that was pretty hollow for a movie. They did good, but like it was still a testing ground. Mm-hmm. But I think Winter Soldier checked off all the barks, mark boxes for me. There's nothing I can complain about. Maybe a few nitpicks, but even then, I'm giving it a six, and it is still, to this day, my favorite Marvel movie. Yeah, 
Um, so that will give 5.8 plus 5.85 plus 6 plus 5. We get a 5.66 for Winter Soldier, and that is our highest MCU movie at the moment. So, this is like one of the most rewatchable ones, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, this one I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching, and I really kind of had my feet on the ground at one point, again, watching this one. This one mm-hmm. wasn't as casual of a rewatch as some tend to be. Mm-hmm. Avengers, definitely casual rewatch. Mm-hmm. This, this one's just like, I gotta watch this. This, this mm-hmm. is all that's going on for me right now. This yeah. is not a movie I find myself picking up my phone and getting on Facebook during, yeah, e- even sure. rewatching it for the umpteenth time. Umpteenth time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, one of my personal favorites, and I'm going to have a lot to say. Uh, we're all probably going to have a lot to say, but uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, if you're just listening to the audio version, I'm wearing my Star-Lord jacket for this, but uh, I'm, I'm hooked on a feeling for this. We're talking Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so, initial impressions of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, surprised. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised. <laughs> I remember having a bet at my dad's shop that some people thought this movie was going to bomb hard. And I can't remember what the amount of money it was. We thought it was going to, what the over-under was, but it wasn't a lot. And I won that bet very easily, but I was not confident I was going to. <laughs> uh, it made tons of money and everyone loved it. And I was, I was so surprised how good one turned out to be. Mm-hmm. I think surprise is a good word for it. Um, this did not feel like a Marvel movie to me, just because this was so different from all the other Marvel movies to this point. Also, um, like, I've become more of a Marvel lore fan since getting further into the MCU. Prior to this point, I knew nothing about any of these characters. Mm -hmm. So all of this was brand new information to me. Um, It's just a lot. And I I liked it. I think my opinion of it has changed over time. But not that I dislike it at this point, but we'll get more into that in a bit. 
Yeah, when it came out, it was like one of those like, wow, we just got from this dark tongue to well, this. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. I'm a, I, I, it was a good time. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, I think surprise was a very is a very good way to describe the feeling of watching it at first because you're just oh, they they pulled this one out of their butts and they did it. It was good. Yeah, and I mean, my first impression, I am a big fan of Chris Pratt, um, so as soon as, uh, I think once I started getting into Marvel, and I was like, oh, Chris Pratt's in the MCU, so I might I should watch uh, the Guardians movies, and I loved it, um, of course, um, but I just think Marvel took a huge risk with this. This is their first big risk. Um, besides, like, the first Iron Man, because that obviously had to start it all. But, like, this is, like... Guardians were, like, D-list characters from the comics. Hardly anybody, unless you were a diehard comic book nerd, knew who the Guardians were. Um, and hasn't their team changed, like, a lot? Yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely from the 80s when they started out. Mm -hmm. The difference in... uh, Mid-2000s, they became something else, you know, dealing with stuff with Silver Surfer and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. I, I remember... When I was little, thinking Ghost Rider was a risk. Like, who the hell Ghost Rider is? And then, like, well, I was like, I don't even know who the Guardians are really. Like, I, I really know Rack and Raccoon. Right. So, um. And for them to pick this team too, um, because like comic books are a whole different animal than comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they picked this team, and there's a certain level of we have to stick with these characters in some meaningful way to develop them through the movies in a way that wouldn't have to be done in the comics. They can't develop the team through different people in the um, same dynamic way as can be done in comic books because it just won't hold viewers' interests. Mm-hmm. So they had to, like, to pick the Guardians and to pick these members was a strong choice. Right. Um, and so James Gunn did a fabulous job with this movie um, in creating, doing the world building and making people love these characters. Um, but now let's get into the casting, and let's start, of course, with my my boy, Star-Lord. Let's uh, get into Chris Pratt. And as a casting story, I did look this up. So Chris Pratt, people knew him as uh, Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec, as the chubby, lovable goofball. Um, and then uh, he went to a screen test um, for Guardians, I believe, and James Gunn wasn't sure he was who he was going to pick, and he wasn't even sure that he was going to pick Chris Pratt, but then as soon as he did the screen test, James Gunn was like, I want that guy. But Chris Pratt had to work out, because he was not in shape. And so then you see Chris Pratt ripped in uh, the movie, and you're just like, Chris Pratt put himself through a lot to get this role. Um, and I just, I think that Star-Lord as a character... I love, he is a very conflicted character. Um, I think he has a lot of trouble dealing with his emotions. Obviously, through the MCU, his emotions kind of control a lot of what he does. And, um, I mean, his his mom died of cancer right in front of him when he was, like, eight. So, I mean, like, it, it, it screwed him up. And the fact that he didn't have an actual dad and he didn't think of... When he got abducted by Yandu, he didn't really think Yandu was, like, his actual father for the longest time. So, I I think I love, um, and I just love Chris Pratt, uh, his smart-ass uh, behavior and just, like, 
but he has that charisma that it, he fits as Star Lord as just a goofy, charismatic character. So. Look at Jake fangirling over here. <laughs> <laughs> Make me sick. <laughs> He's great. No, I, I loved him too. I, this is another. I mean, Chris Pratt, this was a guy I was. I remember saying the same thing about Chris Evans. Like, like mm-hmm. what? Chris Evans can't. He was terrible as Human Torch. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? But then it's like, they kept from. You know, everyone said about Robert Downey Jr. too. Like, why him? Why him? Now, you can't separate the two. It's like, they get, obviously, very dedicated actors, number one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to go through that body building, like, oh my god. Mm -hmm. Um, Yikes. Uh, That's impressive stuff, but he's he's just so good. Mm -hmm. Star-Lord is probably the most relatable humanistic character in the Marvel <laughs> Universe for me, in the sense that I feel like I could meet a guy who acts just like this walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker in, in the <laughs> Spider-Verse, I think that they found an actor who can play off that kind of, like, douchey in a way, but also, like... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say moronic, but he, he's like, he's not like an A, A type, but he's also an alpha male at the same time, you know? It's like, he kind of meets this weird balance of, like, I want, I have to be the best, but I'm not the best. <laughs> and uh, I think Chris Pratt does a really good job of pulling off that character. Um, he kind of gets typecasted into it from Andy Dwyer, mm-hmm. but that's okay. He does well at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy Chris Pratt. Um, uh, I think he did a good job as Star-Lord. It's definitely my favorite role he's taken up. Uh, just the issue sometimes I have with Chris Pratt, personally, is a lot of his different characters, because he gets typecast, they kind of, like, blend in some ways. And even, like, when he was in Jurassic World, like, just some of his behaviors, I'm like, are we really sure Star-Lord just didn't take it? <laughs> <laughs> just like and it's not his necessarily as well it's just when he's type when you're typecast you know those traits tend to pop up um my only big thing and it's just to kind of like speed up on and like kind of save some time with the rest of this team chris Pat definitely in terms of the guardians he's the lead act- actor um maybe the actress that plays Gamora too in terms of who represents the speech for the guardians because obviously they're all not weighted equally mm-hmm. even though they're all there he's the one that pulls this Guardians team in terms of just screen time and moving through plot mm-hmm. and acting. So I think they got a good actor to do it. He does a great job of keeping that whole team relevant and interesting throughout the whole movie because everybody likes to see how Star-Lord interacts with everybody else or vice versa. So I, I got no complaints with him in this movie. Yeah. Um, so let's just keep moving because we got a lot to get through. Um Zoe Saldana is Gamora. Um, Zoe Saldana has been in, like, Avatar. She's in two million-dollar franchises, both under Disney at this point. I so mean... Billion dollar. Billion-dollar. Billion <laughs> the two top-grossing movies yes. of all time. Yep. She's in. Yep. For instance, I think not. <laughs> 
But I like Zoe Saldana. I think she's. I think Gamora's a badass um, in this as well. She's probably one of my favorite uh, female characters in the MCU. Um, I just think I love the way she's shown to be this deadly assassin that has been trained by Thanos, and it just it comes through. She can be funny too. She's good yeah. at her, uh, her comedy cues really well. It's like Chris Pratt and Rocket. Mm-hmm. Really good. Uh, on Gamora and Drax too, I had the same feeling. And later in Guardians 2, Mantis. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like <laughs> they tried to make the characters too alien in terms of their personalities to be relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, And that's a hard thing to act out. Like, This isn't a human character. They don't follow typical human emotions and emotional cues. And I think Zoe Saldana does a good job of that. Um, She's a great actress and a good pick for this film. Mm -hmm. I think she's a great partner in crime to uh, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord. Those two are the ones that carry the team in terms of keeping a chemistry going. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could find a better actress. I think they nailed it with her casting, as Harrison said in the past earlier. They, they can nail these casting choices pretty well, and I think Zoe is another prime example of it. Yeah. Um, moving along, we've got Dave Bautista's Drax the Destroyer. Um, Bautista was a WWE wrestler um, <laughs> and then got cast as Drax. So uh, what do you guys think of Drax? Um, if you use metaphors, though, he's... he's uh, He's, uh, they go over his head, they don't go over his head because he would catch it, so, yeah. He was another one I heard, and I was like, what, what is it, with WWE, and I was like, really? And then I love Dave Batista in Blade Runner 2049, I'm just, I, I was turned around on Dave Batista, he's great in everything, outside of Marvel, I love Dave Batista now, so surprised. Yeah, I like Dave Batista outside of Marvel. I don't know if I don't like Dave Bautista as Drax, or I just don't like Drax. <laughs> um, I just don't like that comedy. It's it's one note comedy, and it's that's hilarious. all they do with the character. Mm-hmm. They make Drax all about that, and it gets so much worse in Guardians and in the later Avengers movies. So it's hard for me to like Dave Bautista in this role. It's nothing against him as an actor. It's just Drax that I don't like. Mm-hmm. That's fair. The moment I heard it was Dave Batista being Drax, I was like, you just better give me some good fighting. I want to see him Batista. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I want this. And um, I didn't expect, honestly, I didn't, when I heard it was Dave Batista, I was like, all right. So I knew right off the bat, I'm like, all right, Drax isn't going to be having a lot of like focus on him. He's there just because he's a big, beefy dude. Sold. I'm fine with it. Give me a cool, some fight scenes in there. They delivered. I liked the introduction with Drax. It was cool. It got not much else to really say because he wasn't really a big focus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, some of Drax's lines are funny. I think they go, I agree with JJ. They go way overboard with Drax later. It, when we get to Guardians 2, especially, I think some of those jokes are very one note and very offensive. So... <laughs> Um, but we'll kind of get that, and that's just kind of because Drax is stupid and doesn't understand metaphors, but, <laughs> um, or social cues, but, yeah, so we'll move on, um, we've got Bradley Cooper voicing Rocket Raccoon, um, and Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, who also plays Kraglin in the Guardians movies, he is the on-set, um, uh, figure for, for Rocket, um, 
So, but what do you guys think of Rocket? I, cool character. I was, uh, I, you know, again, I'm glad they went with these Guardians, like we said. The more modern Guardians that they brought in in the, I don't know, early 2000s uh, Guardians Galaxy team. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fun. Just a goofy character, even in the comics. You know, just randomly appearing in a whole comic and it, I fell in love with him like they did in the comics. You know, it's, yeah, he's just goofy and he just fits this movie, you know? Yeah. I love Bradley Cooper as Rocket, mm-hmm. and this is my favorite thing about the Guardians movies. Um, mm-hmm. I, every time I watch it, I, it still doesn't sound like Bradley Cooper to me, <laughs> and that's a testament to yeah. his voice acting. Yeah. Like, seeing it in the credits that that was Bradley Cooper, that was a surprise to me. But he does such a wonderful job voice acting that. And... Uh, Shoutouts to, um, it's Sean Gunn? Yeah, Sean Gunn, yes. That's acting, like, that's hard <laughs> stuff to do. Yeah. Um, he had to do a lot to act that role out. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie, uh, Rocket is my least favorite <laughs> of the old Guardians team. I mean, it's, it's not like it was a bad acting job or anything, I just never really was really into that kind of character, and, like, he was cool in the beginning, but there was like a lot of parts where it's like when he was on screen and he was doing his normal spiel, it wore off on me like mm-hmm. during the movie. So it's like even when they had this like a very sad moment with him, I didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. It's like fucking, I don't care. Like <laughs> you're, you're oh ooh, boo hoo, like boo hoo hoo. Really, no, I shouldn't. And a lot of people like him. He's a cool concept character. I just couldn't vibe with him. Yeah, I just love that line I don't so care much. If you were some lab experiment and you don't even know what you are. That's <laughs> <ice> <laughs> no, but I mean I I just I uh Rocket, I mean he starts out as a jerk, and I do want to say James Gunn has gone on record saying Rocket is his favorite character because he reminds him of himself. Um and okay. yeah, so I guess James Gunn likes to think of himself as kind of an a-hole, but um but yeah, um so we'll move on. Uh we've of course got Vin Diesel as Groot. Um and just the fun thing about Vin Diesel is that although he only says three words, uh similar to how he only says a few words in the Iron Giant, um he the the best the best thing is that Vin Diesel's inflections tell what he's saying, and like I know that they've ri- they write what Groot is actually saying in the script, and it's up to Vin Diesel to give that inflection on what uh, with I am Groot. So that's great, and I like Groot. Uh, <laughs> Iron Giant is one of the few perfect movies out there, in my opinion. <laughs> he's oh my god, I love that movie, but. I don't want Vin Diesel as Groot. Um, I've always wanted Vin Diesel as Vader Ray Bill, personally. Why so, not both? <laughs> I, I guess it could. To me, it just feels like they wasted Vin Diesel because, like, like, it just I've always I, I can't wait for Vader Ray Bill in the next one. I know they can't get him now because they made him Groot, uh, and they haven't cast him as him anyways. And, but I've always been. They, they, you know, he says a few words. That's mm-hmm. Iron Giant, but you mm-hmm. know, I, I like to see Ben Diesel do more. He doesn't always need to be the guy that grunts and makes noises. For <laughs> <laughs> I 
I feel bad for him. Even in Saving Private Ryan, he's the same guy, but he dies. He makes a few noises and dies. Or crashes cars. One of them is Bane Ray Bill. You know? Harrison, maybe this will open the door to a more perfect casting for Beta Ray Bill that you just can't think of yet. I mean, like some of these other Marvel characters that they cast. That's true. Well, I'm sure they'll get a great person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he had a very hard job. Like, mm. this is not an easy thing to do acting, saying the same three, four words <laughs> yeah. uh, in a movie. Um, and also, like, uh, kudos to Vin Diesel for also doing it in uh, many different languages for different recordings of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did a good job with the task handed to him. I love Groot. Better than the raccoon. <laughs> Second favorite on the Guardian State. Yeah. Arguably first for me, but you know, yeah, honestly, those two are like my favorite in terms of the Guardians. We're like polar opposites on this one, Will. <laughs> oh my god. But I I I like adult group better than baby and teenage group. I'm just gonna say it. His yes. his character, he's the gentle giant, he's self more selfless than the rest of the team, he's the heart and soul of the team, pulls them together as well, and then he sacrifices himself and oh my god, it's it's good. He'll throw hands though. Yeah, and he throws hands. Yeah, he's a protector, too. He's a protector. Um, so then... Yeah. Um, we'll move on again. We've, of course, got Karen Gillan as Nebula. Um, and she doesn't do as much in this movie. She's still good. She'll do much more as the MCU goes forward. But... Opinions on Nebula. Really big fan of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, second watch, I was like... Man, she, she's great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and she's one of the few really good parts in Guardians Two. Yeah, like, I like Guardians Two, but she's a great part in Guardians Two. There's not a lot of great out of Guardians Volume Two. Um, she's even in, even in Endgame. Same opinion. She's great in that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, big fan. Uh, this is another role where I kind of lose the actor in the role. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would not have known this was Karen Gillan until I was told this was Karen Gillan. And that's okay, because she's giving me this character that I can just get lost in. This is this character, nothing else. That being said, I didn't like Nebula that much in this movie. She felt very one-note. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I like Karen Gillan as Nebula a lot more and Guardians 2 and Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she had a similar role to what, how Black Widow was introduced in Iron Man 2. She was cool, but you definitely could tell her right, this ain't her time or place right now. Especially as we the plot was going on, you've seen how she was kind of being less and less involved. So um, I dug her, but this wasn't her the movie for her. It was just more so Marvel remember this for later kind of deal. Yeah. And... I guess it moves us right into Michael Rooker as Yondu, and I I love Yondu more in Guardians 2 when we get to it, but I still like Yondu in this movie. I think he's I think he's great, and I mean just the arrow scene shooting through all the um all the all of Ronan's uh minions and just like it shoots through the ship and it just 
everybody just falls down. I thought that was a great scene, um, and I love his dynamic with Peter Quill um, as, as these two Guardians movies go on. Yeah, he's always been a really fun... He's always... He's one of those... He's kind of always the same character in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I trust him. He's great. I... I people utilize him well i think he's always you know he's got great voice and obviously great whistling too he's he's always just a joy to me on screen his face acting too really great yeah does a lot with his face Mm -hmm. i i love space pirate merle dixon Um, (laughs) and just like you said it feels like the same character but in a totally different setting and i'm all that's all I got to say on that. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, to me, uh, Yondu's in the same boat as Nebula in this movie. Cool concept, cool thing, but I knew right there, like, just as it was going, I was like, it's not the time and place for him, because like Baruki, you said, he really gets his time to shine in the second one, but mm-hmm. as of right now, cool character, but nothing that I'm going to be like, whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll just talk, briefly mention the... Uh, three minor characters. We've got John C. Riley as Officer uh, Day. Um, I love him in this movie just because the little moments he has, even though he doesn't get much, he's really, really funny. I'm kind of upset that he wasn't. He's gone from the MCU after this, but I, I, I just like what screen time he had. So, um, and then we've got Glenn Close as Noah Prime, and Benicio del Toro as the Collector. So. Mm. We briefly mentioned. Was so great. Uh, yeah. The collector. Oh my gosh. Great adaptation of the collector. Yeah. That, that always stands out to me. Yeah. Another guy. Great with the face too. Benicio del Toro. I, so good. He says it all with his uh, body language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much fun to watch. Yeah. Definitely. Um. So let's just our quick talking point. Uh, let's talk about the soundtrack and the significance. And I, I love this soundtrack. I love him in every movie that the soundtrack appears in. But like the significance as well is that the soundtrack is all the music that uh, Meredith Quill, that Peter's mom, uh, had uh, introduced him to when he was growing up. And that she grew up with. And throughout the movie, the music is really... How, at least in the first one, how I understand it, is that she's sending a me- message to Peter every time the music plays. Like, when he when Come and Get Your Love plays and it's leading him to the Power Stone, like, come and get my love, like, this is, come and get it. And then when you get to the end and you get Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and that's like, she's like, I'll be here whenever you need me. Uh, you know, ain't there's going to be not, nothing in my way that stops me from coming to be here for you. And I, I love how the soundtrack, this is really one of the first, maybe the first MCU movies so far where the soundtrack really ties to the story. And I love that. So. Yeah, no, it definitely was big for that and implying the themes that the movie was going for. And, and also, they also just fit, uh, you know, uh, time and era like other Marvel movies do with Captain America this one you know the music time era thing uh, a lot of movies after Guardians tried to do this mm-hmm. you know tried to have the, either the characters or the music uh, you know uh, this movie did it 
and movies try to copy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is um, this was certainly a unique way to incorporate a soundtrack into a movie, and I, I liked the direction they went with it. It was also a great way to just bring some nostalgia into it. Yeah. Um, and to really kind of center the movie around Quill and his journey and uh, bring the focal point a little bit to Earth to something relatable to us. Yes. I, I think the big thing that I want to add to is it definitely then became an element that was a staple to the gardens because you see the same thing like in Infinity War when we're going through all these introductions. Yes. The introduction of the Guardians, like, you hear the song, and you just immediately, you're like, yep, it's the Guardians. There ain't nobody else who rolls up like this. (laughs) And I think that is uh, very impressive, and I I like Mm -hmm. a lot that that the soundtrack becomes a staple of a particular group. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to be a whole freaking topic on Infinity War and Endgame is the music. Oh yeah, the music in both of those. We'll get we'll get to it when we get to it. But even mm-hmm. those those character introductions in those movies is, are great. Yeah, but these two movies, this is when Marvel really brought in uh, great directors and started to let them do, you know, have their personal touches on it. This is a very James Gunn movie. Yes. In a good way. Uh, and Russo's obviously that was a very Russo movie, Winter Soldier, um, and you know this helm the way for Taiko Titi to come in. Yes. It, it just, you know, these were the two movies that really changed things for me with Marvel. Right. Agreed. Um, let's get into the post-credit and Easter eggs and stuff and then the rankings. Uh, post-credit, of course, we've got Howard the Duck coming in in the yes. Collector's Museum, and it's awesome. I believe Seth Green was the voice of Howard the Duck. Um <laughs> I believe that, and he's and he's Doctor Evil's son in Austin Powers, so uh, it's a funny, funny thing. But. One way to just reference kind of the the start of Marvel movies, because Howard the Duck really was kind of the first Marvel movie. I mean, Oof. It wasn't like literally the first, but it's credited kind of as the first. Is, is it? Yeah, I can't think of a Marvel that came before it. It's the first Marvel movie, Marvel Legacy movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But but they're like early adaptations of like Hulk and Captain America before that. Yeah, they're a whole TV show. With Lou Ferrigno, yeah. There were cinematic adaptations as well, but I think that this was the first um, Marvel Studios movie. Not Marvel Studios, because they're only 10 years old, but... I, I know what you mean, though, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. There, there is a technical that nerds will yell at us for, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm not nerdy enough for some nerds. Who the hell was talking about the original Howard the Duck? Though? Like, I don't yeah. I mean, that's a trip. That's that's a movie that it, it's, yeah. it's not a good trip, but... <laughs> it's, it's like the holiday special. It's just... Oop. See it, talk about it once, and you know, like, Okay, the one watching. Yeah, never, never, yeah. never picking this up again. We did that. <laughs> yes. Oh no! But uh, yeah, no, I just I and Howard the Duck is gonna come up again. Cameos, we'll talk about it. He is an Endgame, so we will talk about that when we get oh, to. Yeah. But okay. Howard the Duck, I love that he's tied in. <laughs> also, Cosmo, 
yes, we'll get into the Easter eggs now. So Cosmo the space dog's little dog in the astronaut suit that starts licking the collector at the end. But in the comics, he is a Russian telepathic dog that speaks Russian. Um, So it's just, I'm glad that they probably didn't weird out people with a (laughs) Russian-speaking telepathic dog, but... I probably. <laughs> it's just genius. That's, that's, like, that's pretty long hanging fruit if that's the case. A little wild. I didn't even know that reference. Uh, that, that one I had to look up. I was like, that dog's something. Yeah. yeah. So, Co- Cosmo's pretty cool. Um, and uh, when they have the Guardians in the prison lineup uh, after they get arrested when they're describing them and you see like information off to the side uh and when they talk about rocket you can see the name lila reference to the side of him lila is rocket's like partner in the comics um that he was with when they were both experimented on um and i don't know if that's something that they're going to go into in guardians 3 or not but um we could possibly see it i doubt it I feel like it's going to be a lot more Thor centered. Than mm-hmm. I think they're going to ask Guardians of the Galaxy with that, like the new Kamehameha. <laughs> I don't care about that raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, the when Groot gives the flower to little girl, that is a Frankenstein reference. James Gunn specifically said that that's a reference to Frankenstein giving a little girl a flower, and. Oh. Luckily, yeah. Groot did not kill the child after giving them the flower, but... <laughs> That'd be a whole different movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, also in the Collector's Museum, you've got the ch- uh, references to the Chitari and the Dark Elves. Um, so you got past MCU references in the Collector's Museum. You've also got Aliens from the movie Slither, which was directed by James Gunn. Yeah. So you've got a lot in there. Um, Back to the world building aspect. I love when they introduce characters and scenes like this where they can wedge in all those tiny little things because the collector is just a bounty of opportunities for them to reference things. Yeah. And they take full advantage of that. Of course. And um, we've also got, you know, when the collector is explaining the Infinity Stones. Um, you've got the image of Isan, the Celestial, um, with the Power Stone. Oh, yeah. So, that's a cool reference, and, uh... About that. The Collector is actually a Celestial himself, is he not? He, I believe so, isn't he? That is he's, a, he's a level, he's a level, uh, something similar to them, I believe. I don't think he's, like, one of the full Celestials, I could be wrong, but he's, like, a tier similar to them. Yeah. Um... Okay. I think recently in the comics, you know, the new Venom line, they explained the head of nowhere, I think. Mm, that's uh, a celestial head, yeah. 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 Oh. And it's it's the, the new big bad guy of Marvel in the comics, apparently. Mm-hmm. In the comics, he is not a celestial, but an elder. So is the Grand Master. Celestials are known to have vast matter and energy manipulation abilities, as we saw with Ego. Uh, the collector has shown no special abilities whatsoever. Yeah, he was a, he was up there in terms of just in terms of age, I believe. I think it was just God. outlasting a lot of people. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to mention the improvised moment from Chris Pratt where he has the orb and he drops it and picks it up again, and that was completely improvised. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I love little instances like that, like real life 
that find their ways in the movies, um, like stutters on lines or coughs or sneezes, things that happen in real life and should be incorporated when they happen because that's just that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's stuff with the coordinates that they still haven't completely cracked the code on that's, like, messages from Meredith Quill to Peter as well, but that hasn't been completely cracked, so I don't know if I want to get into it, but that's another Easter egg. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, if, if you watch YouTube, the coordinates that appear, like, when they go to nowhere and there's, or, like, Morag and there's the little coordinates underneath, those are messages from Meredith to Peter. Um mm. So, cool. yeah, I, I don't know exactly what they all say because that, they haven't even been cracked yet. James Gunn has, like, said that nobody's cracked them completely. Oh, wow. So, um, and then, but yeah, let's get into the uh, Stanley cameo. Uh, Rocket's talking trash about everybody and Stanley's talking to a younger lady and Rocket's like, what a class A pervert. Uh, talking to a younger woman, and actually, when they have they have message when he's checking out everybody, there's a message next to Stan Lee that Rock is checking out, and encrypted, it's actually Excelsior, Stan's oh, catchphrase. Nice. Okay. Nice, nice. So, um, but is that yeah. The first time Excelsior has worked its way into a movie. Yes, and we're going to hear Stan actually say it the next yeah. movie we talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but. Yeah, uh, and just favorite moments. I mean, I love this movie. So the soundtrack, the just ending fight scene with Quill beating, distracting Ronan with dancing. I mean, that's just perfect. Um, Drax and metaphors. Like, I still think Drax's humor is good in this movie. Obviously, like we said, it kind of doesn't go over well as the MCU goes on. Um, And just a dirty joke, the Jackson Pollock joke. Like, <laughs> won't I will not explain that one in detail. Look it up if you don't understand. Love <laughs> it. Um, but yeah. So, uh, is you guys can explain your favorite scenes of this movie too? Oh wow, favorite scenes. That that's a tough one for this one. Um, I'm. I like this one a lot. I'm probably a little too critical on this one, so I don't know if I have, like, a... It's hard to say what my favorite scene is. Mm-hmm. I more think of this one as just things I wish happened instead in some ways, but we can get to that later if we want. Tough, tough for me to pick a favorite. There is a lot of good. Mm-hmm. I agree, Harrison. There's a lot of what-ifs or wishes that I have for this movie. Um... If I have a favorite, like, aspect of this movie, I don't really have a favorite scene. Um, it's the casting choice of Lee Pace. Um, Lee Pace is one of my favorite kind of almost underrated actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got such a commanding presence as Ronan. Um, I just awesome. I like it on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite scenes, I actually have favorite, my, I have a couple favorites. It's, uh, the introduction to Ronan. I think that scene is just very powerful and intimidating. And it's oddly calming, too, in a way. Because of just, I get a vibe for what Ronan's about. Because this was my first introduction to the character of Ronan in general. And it caught my interest from the very beginning. 
because to the point where after I've seen the movie, I looked up who Ronan was mm -hmm. because I just enjoyed him a lot. He's actually my favorite character in the movie, oddly enough. And then um, outside of Ro the introduction of Ronan, it's it's a scene where Ronan's talking to Thanos, mm -hmm. and this is when you know Thanos is first fully shown, which I was very surprised by. Yeah, and I enjoyed, but my favorite line, and it was such a dark Thanos line, was when he tells Ronan, "If you mess up again, I will bathe the stars in your blood." And, yeah, like, just the delivery, and even through like. CGI, the emotion that was captured through Thanos delivering that line and the voice with it, oh, it was great. It was one of my, it's my favorite, like, lines in the, it's one of my favorite lines in the movie. The second favorite is it's when Ronan, when the guy's like, you'll never rule Zendar, and, and uh, Ronan's just like, no, I'm gonna cure it, and then smash the dude's skull. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is also... We'll talk more about Thanos when we get to Infinity War and Endgame, but this is also where Josh Brolin first is Thanos because Avengers was just like a little tease, and this is really Josh Brolin taking over as Thanos. Was that Brolin in that one too in Guardians? Yes, it is Brolin oh, wow. for the first See, I didn't time. Know that. Okay. Um, and but we're gonna talk Who was about. It in the... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Who was it in Avengers? It he didn't speak in the Avengers, I don't think, because it was just the no. other talking for yeah, him. Yeah, it was just it was just a look. Yeah. Yeah, um, and the other dies in this one, too. Ronan just murders him. Um, <laughs> Which? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and my other favorite line, real quick, before we get into rankings, is where uh, after they the Collector's Museum gets blown up by the Power Stone and Rocket's like, uh, you know, why, uh, why would you want to save this galaxy? What has the galaxy ever done for you? And Star-Lord's just like, because I'm one of the idiots who lives in it. <laughs> and I just love that line. Um but um we'll get into villain rankings now lee play lee pace as ronin the accuser um i think he's a very i like him a lot more as will said on like as i rewatch it i think they did a good job with like how intimidating he was things like where he just takes the power stone out of out of the orb and just like puts it in the hammer and just like threatens to kill thanos like nobody else threatens to just go up and just try to beat thanos like that to this point like nobody is nobody has done that and uh i just i think it's missing some of like the maybe a little bit of the motivation for it because you want to know why thanos or why ronin is so angry at xandar specifically i mean we hear it's something to do with the peace treaty um with the nova Corps, but we don't know like specifically what happened to make him so angry but I agree that he's, like, he's definitely not the worst villain at all. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and so I'm going to give him a 4.5. Um, so I, I think he's worthy of being somewhere in the middle. So Yeah, I'd probably be at a 4 for him. Uh, mm -hmm. He's definitely grown on me as a villain. Mm -hmm. um, a great casting, uh, as always. But I, I think he is, it's just great stature and everything that comes with him. And it, it, it just overall, he fits with the Guardians movie and what this movie is, what mm -hmm. it was trying to be. He fits. It doesn't need to be, you know, the best villain or best written and whatnot. Because that just fits this movie. Right. 
Yeah, really looking at that aspect of it, of how he as a villain fits into this movie has changed my opinion of him over time. On first watch through, I just thought, wow, what a brat of a villain. But like, <laughs> now looking at, like, like Thanos thought. I mean, because really he acts like a child. Mm-hmm. He's drunk on power. Um, but like, reading through, or watching through it again, um, he is a very strong character of powerful commanding presence. He's got a decently developed personality. Um, I'm still going to rate him a little lower. Uh, I'm going to give him a 3.9. And I think the biggest influencer to that is the way that he handles the added power of the Power Stone. I feel like he's holding back or misusing it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I know there's an element of he doesn't know how to operate with that because this is his first time using it. But, like... All he really does with the Power Stone is kind of throw the Guardians around. I mean, we got shown in this flashback or this scene or whatever by the Collector that you could destroy an entire planet with it. So, like, why even deal with Guardians? Why not just kill them right then and there? Um, I Ronan, I, as I've said, is my favorite character, actually, in this movie. Um, he's not somebody I personally... Yes, would I loved him to be fleshed out more in terms of writing? Yeah, but like as we talked about, for what they needed him to be, it wasn't going to be in the cards for this character uh, because they just needed somebody to be a force for. Because this movie was focused on the team. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a fle- that much of a fleshed out villain. But in the time that we had, I was very captured by him. He was very intimidating. But he's also a reason why this movie fell actually a lot for me. Because I see of just, in, even in the minor use that they had with him, and the minor care they gave him, he still could have been one of your best characters in this movie to where you could have used him more. And I think, it's a, I think it was a failure of directing, in the sense, or maybe story writing, however, whichever you want to go for, because the actor nailed it. Like, there's nothing about what mm-hmm. the actor did and there was nothing short of what the character presence was. And the moment when he's palming the power stone and he puts it in there, that in itself is such a huge feat because up to this point, they were building up of, don't touch this stone with your bare hand. Like, later on we see Quill do it, but, you know, it gets explained later why he's able to do such mm-hmm. a thing. But then it makes Rowan's feat even more impressive for when you find out why Quill was able to hold the power stone at one point. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and JJ, to your point, I think the reason why, in terms of why he fully didn't use it, was because he still had that limit of he was still just a quote unquote guy holding this cosmic power. There's probably a limit of how much he could have actually used that stone. But I will give him, against my better judgment, I'm going to go with my heart on this one, so there's going to be a bit of a bias to it. I'm going to give him a five because I think. Being able to work, and this is all on the actor, and the and being able to present the character because working with less to make such a capturing character for me, I think that's impressive enough to be given a five. But mm-hmm. I understand why people think he's a very good. I'm not gonna argue if you think less. I'll give you that point, Will. Yeah, I mean, you you changed my opinion when we've talked about it previously about Ronan and when rewatching this. Um, that gives Ronan a four point three five. Uh, that makes Ronan, uh, above Loki from Avengers. Ronan is actually now in 
fifth place. Um, so I think that's that's where I said I thought he should fit. So I thought this. I think that's a pretty good spot for Ronan. Um, now let's move on to the overall movie. I don't know if this is where I'm going to have to hardcore defend Guardians. I probably you am. Go last because of that, Jake? <laughs> yeah, I'll go last. Okay. Harrison, what do you think, buddy? Okay. Uh, again, in my letterbox, I gave it a 7 out of 10, uh, Guardians. Uh, I, I can tick this one a little easier than some movies, uh, most because I did enjoy it so much. A lot more surprising. I, I I don't like the classic thing that many movies do, where it's like you know they had the rockets aiming at them, and it's like fire on my command. I hate that stuff in movies. It's like you know they're literally counting down the rockets. It's just it's like, oh, I get it. They're they're gonna make it. I know. Um, and I personally don't like the dance at the end. Oof. I always wish that Thanos came down and took the staff right from Ronan. I, because I wish I have always wished that I wish there was like a little thing where Nova is also like oh my god there's another ship incoming and then we cut to them and he's about to put the staff down and Thanos takes it and like oh there's everyone looking up like oh my god there's the ship and Thanos just smirks and he vanishes and the ship vanishes and it just, it would make him more intimidating for future movies that's something I always wish happened other than that I you know uh, really great. Uh, and it, with your out of six, I gotta give it a five. Um, there were some aspects of this movie I really liked, like really liked, but there were also some things that I just, they fell so flat for me. Um, I'll start with the latter half of that. Uh, the characters of the team, um, Peter felt fairly well flesh, fleshed out. All the other characters in this and all the times I see the Guardians feel so one-note and undeveloped. Um, Drax especially. Mantis especially. Um, and I, as the main characters, that like leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Um, there was a lot of like, kind of sloppy comedy, sloppy, cheesy plot devices, like the fire on my command. Um, like the way that Ronan interacts with the heroes and that stuff I just don't like that being said um, two things I think the movie did fantastically the makeup and costuming is some of the best I've seen out of Marvel mm -hmm. um, phenomenal especially Drax like that patterning on his skin was fantastic and this movie did what in one movie what the Avengers did in six Six, I think, um, where they put together this team of five heroes mm. in one origin story. Mm -hmm. um, and they did it in a way where we actually got personality out of all five characters. And that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the bad kind of outweighs the good for me. So I'm going to give this movie a 3.9. I'm going to put it right where I put Roman. Mm. Um... This was a movie that I had such a good time watching. But towards the end, it was... It wasn't that it was like, okay, I was a bit salty, but it wasn't like it ruined my whole experience for it. Like, the final fight with Ronan really kind of like annoyed me because I was, like I said, I was captivated by Ronan. I was looking forward to a good fight. But the 
way they just like, oh, boom, and that was it. And it was just like, wow, thanks for, oh, that, that was cool. And I think that was a big issue that when I rewatched Guardians was, we talked about it in Winter Soldier, when they were all fighting uh, Bucky. You saw each one of them in their particular style and their particular element kind con- contribute. In this one, you look at the group, other than Gru, because he's the only one with his own special, unique powers. There's not at one point where you could look at the team and be like, all right, you're all good for something else. Maybe Rocket, because he was the, you know, the pilot. I mean, well, yeah, Quill was a pilot too, but uh, Rocket was more of the engineer, you know, aspect of it all. But, like, take Drax and Gamora, for example. Like, when they first introduced Drax, I was like, alright, Drax is going to be a muscle. He's a skilled fighter. But then you see him later get mollywopped, so then you're just like, what's the point of having <laughs> Drax when Gamora is clearly your better fighter? <laughs> it's not like she was, like, weak. Fair enough, yeah. Form. So, like, what did Drax do to significantly separate himself from Gamora? Like, yeah, we see him threaten Gamora, but in reality, when you, like, finish the movie, you look back, you're like, man, Gamora, if she really wanted to fight, she probably would have killed Drax. Or at least beat his ass, one of the two. So I think that's a big flaw in this movie, that they didn't make it to where each character contributes a different, unique way. I don't want them all to be powerful or them all to be on the same skill level, but make it to where it's like, you would rather have Drax in this situation than over Gamora, or why you would take Quill here than Rocket. Like, there was not a lot to separate them from one another, except for, you knew... Groot, Quill, and Gamora were the three big hitters. If you had one of those three with you, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the other two are, you know, it's okay. Um, I will give this movie... I will give this movie a four. Because it was a good time. The soundtrack definitely, like, played more of a... It did definitely set a good vibe for me. And there was a lot that I did enjoy in terms of just simple entertainment. And that's what I asked the movie to do. It entertained me. But there are a lot of... There are too many what-ifs for me. And what I wish could have happened for it to be any higher than four. Alright. Um, <laughs> so... So, I love this movie. I give it a 5.85. I... Wow. I love... I love the characterization of Peter Quill. I love Star-Lord, um, what they do with his character in terms of how they connect the music to him. And I love in this movie showing him as a competent leader, um, as well as being an idiot. But like the moment where he convinces the rest of the team to be, to be willing to lay down their lives to go on this suicide mission, like it's time to give a shit and like, Put up, you know, it's it's a wonderful scene. The jackass is standing in a circle, like it's it's such a good scene. Um, but I just love this movie. I only mark it down a little bit because Ronan is a little bit of a flat uh, villain. As far and I do agree with the points of well, Drax is kind of flat in this movie as well. I mean, what we know about him is that he's driven by revenge for his the deaths of his daughter and wife, um, and that's kind of it and Drax never as we'll see never really gets to exact that revenge (laughs) um so I will agree with that I mean Drax was literally created to destroy Thanos like that in the comics so I mean like 
it but i do love this movie for how fun it is and i think it sets some of the fun tone for the mcu i agree that sometimes that can be a little much later on but overall i just enjoy this movie a lot this is one i will go back and rewatch a lot and made me fall in love with the character of star lord so to your point jake i think that that comedy is fantastic for this movie mm-hmm. just not for other marvel style movies yeah right the worst in end game i feel oh yes yeah, yeah. It, it let the end game was a letdown for me end game should have taken on the serious tone of winter soldier i think the where it got the worst was ragnarok but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. We'll, we'll get... So... I, I but, um... Real quick review before you go on, but, um... The, the big moment, I don't know if you guys knew this, but there was a deleted scene, and it made me very more salty about this movie. It's a deleted scene with Drax and Gamora. And Drax is explaining what his markings and all his tattoos mean. Oh! Oh, I haven't seen And when... And I, I don't know how, I think it, it, because I remember seeing clips on YouTube about it. And when I seen that, I was like, why was that not in it? That would be just the tiny amount of backstory with Drax, or at least character depth, that I would need to be satisfied with Drax. He's still one of my favorite characters, because I just love the muscle head. But, like, that detail would have been just amazing to see, and it would have shown that this movie's got layers outside of Quill. Mm-hmm. Like, the teams actually has layers that I care about because fuck the raccoon. The reason I smiled when you said layers is because all I just said was Shrek. Yeah, I was going to say that, but... But, uh, 4.69 is the total average for Guardians, and that puts it below... That puts it at about fifth place, uh, below Iron Man, uh, below, uh, below Iron Man, below Captain America, the first Avenger, below Avengers, and below Winter Soldier. What couple movies are right after, uh, Guardians? Uh, Iron Man 3 is below that, Thor, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, and Thor the Dark World. So, it isn't... I disagree. I disagree, but overall, the Guardians hold the right man for yeah. Yeah, I think I I know Baruki. You, I know in your personal list it would be higher, but I think if we are like, (laughs) if we're actually like going around, I think that's actually a pretty solid spot to define where this Guardians is. Because I'm thinking ahead of like how I feel like personally and how they might affect the scores like for Guardians two. I think Guardians is actually in the very, very... That's actually a pretty good spot to have, being right after the first Iron Man as of right yeah, now. Yeah, like, so... At this point, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. I was going to say I agree that Guardians should be in the top half, so I'm happy with it being in the top sure. five right now. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm gonna hope... I believe even with movies being added, obviously some will go higher, but I think that it should be in the top ten of the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, um, but, yeah. What were you going to say, Will? Uh, I was just about to say, but, like, even if it does fall out, it's not necessarily because it's a bad movie. It's also necessarily because there are some really big powerhouses. Like, 
coming up. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw this up there. Once Black Panther gets out there, because I think Black Panther was a, I think I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on it in terms of how good it really was. I'm not saying it was ever considered a bad movie, but did it ever like was it overhyped in some regards? And is it gonna be overhyped again, given the fact that rest in peace, Chad, he passed away? But that tends to happen sometimes when. Uh, yeah. actors or any artist pass away their craft becomes a bit more valued so what's going to happen when we get to black at panther yeah um i agree with that um i mean there's going to be a lot of good movies coming up but um yeah thanks harrison for coming on the podcast and yeah i'll have fun let me know oh. if you ever want me again i'll let you do it oh for sure um Great. but uh we're gonna figure out when to do the next episode with jj will and i um, we're probably going to drop it by uh, around Thanksgiving, um, record it before then. But we are going to be doing, finishing up phase two, we're going to be talking about Age of Ultron, and we're going to be bringing Paul Rudd into the MCU with Ant-Man. So we're going to be telling Luis stories the entire time. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about that um, and get to two really good Stan Lee cameos as well. So... Um, but yeah, so uh, let us know what you think as far as feedback goes, and we'll see you next time for Age of Ultron and Ant-Man on Tribe of Nerds.